In 1849, the discovery of gold created a massive migration of people to San Francisco, California. And history remembers those people as the 49ers. In 1848, rebellions in Europe created a massive migration of people to San Antonio, Texas. And history would also remember them. Question, who were these people that migrated to Texas? And history would later remember as the 48ers. Welcome to San Antonio, Texas. By an order of a Spanish Viceroy, on a beautiful Sunday morning, May the 1st, 1718, a friar by the name of Antonio de Olivares met with a governor, Martin de Alarcón, and about 30 families, including some Native Americans, for a small ceremony near a river, officiating the founding of a new Spanish mission by putting mud and straw together. They call this new mission San Antonio de Valero. And who would have imagined then that this single ceremonial act 300 years ago would set in motion the many local historical events that witnessed the long and gradual transformation of that inconsequential pile of straw and mud to become one of this country's most prominent metro centers, also known as Military City, the modern-day city of San Antonio. These are the accounts of the many visionary individuals who were proud to call this city their home, who have become part of this city's colorful historical past and whose personal contributions many times assisted in advancing this Texas city into the future in a positive way. Welcome to San Antonio, Texas. Tricentennial City on a mission. Welcome again to San Antonio's Historical Podcast. In this episode, we'll travel back in time to examine the migration and the settlement of one of Texas' largest ethnic groups. My name is Gonzo, and I'm your host. Today's episode is titled, The 48ers. In the 1840s, Europe still had kings and peasants and still lived in a feudal-like system of existence. And the average working-class man knew that it was time for a change. As a result, in 1848, many countries in Europe experienced radical social reform through social unrest like uprisings, demonstrations, and mass assemblies. These uprisings would be called the Rebellions of 1848. For centuries in Europe, the aristocracy had promoted to the masses social concepts like hereditary privilege, state religion, absolute monarchy and the divine right of kings and what the average person was really dreaming of or hoping for were ideas and concepts like liberty and equality citizens of european countries in the mid 1840s wanted and would support ideas and programs such as freedom of speech freedom of the press freedom of religion free markets civil rights democracy secular governments gender equality, and international cooperation. A rebellion could change all of that, or so thought the rebels, who consisted mainly of middle-class and working-class people, who together shared a desire for reform and change, and who basically agreed on almost all issues. But 
their roles in the rebellions were very different. It seems that while the middle class would handle the role of motivation, organization, and financing of the rebellion, the lower or working class would handle the frontline fighting. The working class did not like that arrangement too much. And in 1848, the big event for social change in Germany became known as the March Revolution. With large popular assemblies and mass demonstrations in many parts of the country, and they were led by well-educated students and intellectuals who demanded German national unity, freedom of the press, and freedom of assembly. And even though these demonstrations were not well-coordinated, they did have one thing in common, the rejection of traditional autocratic political structures in all of the 39 independent states of the German Federation. But in the end, the middle class and the working class of the revolution would split up and guess what? The conservative aristocracy would defeat the rebellion, forcing many Germans, middle class and working class into exile because now their names were on a government list as rebel agitators who had to be found and dealt with harshly. So now Germans who wanted a better life for themselves would be forced to find that life somewhere else. But where could these Germans go to find these ideals of democracy, freedom of the press, freedom of religion, or freedom to pursue your very own happiness? Moving your life or family across an ocean from one country to another in the early 1800s was a major life event for anyone attempting that feat. But yet many people did do it. Many Germans had their eyes set on England, Australia, and the United States. For thousands of Germans, the final destination of a 5,000-mile journey would be Galveston, Texas. And from there, these immigrants would embark on a new life that was waiting for them there in the paradise known as Texas. Sadly, many of the immigrants perished in epidemics along the way. That was very common in the 1840s. Many stayed in Texas cities like Galveston, Houston, and San Antonio, Texas, and others settled in the rugged Texas hill country to form the western end of the German belt. This massive German migration to Texas would create a German belt in central Texas of German-speaking communities. It's not known who coined the term German belt, but this massive colonization of German families in Texas was made possible and became a reality because of three migration factors that had to come together at the right time in history for this German migration to succeed. The three migration factors are, first and foremost, you need to have a dominant personality. Next, you need a spark or a device that can ignite a chain reaction in this case a letter, or letters from America, simply called America Letters. These two factors would create the final factor, a process called chain migration. And those are the necessary ingredients you need for a successful migration of humans across 5,000 miles. German migrations to Texas always started with what is known to students of human migrations as a dominant personality, or a true pioneer. 
This is an ambitious person, a natural leader who could take charge and make things happen, who was bold and forceful, and who saw this great adventure in his life as the only solution to the rebellions and problems back home. And this dominant personality had to know how to use his personality to convince others to follow him in migration. A German by the name of Friedrich Dirkst, known in Texas under his alias Johann Friedrich Ernst, was for the Texas German migration movement the dominant personality. Ernst came to America in 1828 with plans to settle in Missouri, but while docked in New Orleans, he learned about large land grants in Stephen F. Austin's colony in Texas. And just two years later, Ernst received a grant of more than 4,000 acres of the most beautiful land that lay in the northwest corner of what is now Austin County. His 4,000 acres would form the nucleus of what would become the German Belt in Texas. But now it's time to light a spark. Ernst wrote letters to friends in Germany, and it was through these America letters that he would reach and influence many people back home. Ernst described Texas in his letters as a winterless land with climate like that of Sicily. He wrote about game and fish, fertile and rich soil that was just there waiting for German hands to reap its abundancy. Taxes, he wrote, were almost nothing. Land could be obtained and purchased for a small fee, and hunting and fishing required no licenses. Friends back home, listen to me. This Texas is an earthly paradise. One can only imagine what these letters did in the minds of frustrated Germans. It was the effectiveness of these letters that would convince many people in northwestern Germany to literally pick up and move to Texas. Within 10 years, they had established a number of rural communities in the vicinity of Ernest Grant in South Texas. This chain migration process was a natural result of a dominant personality writing letters back home. During this chain migration of humans, people moved in clusters or groups from confined districts in Germany only to settle in similar confined colonies in Texas. This way, people from small rural parishes in Germany settled together in Texas, making up a county or part of a county. In Texas, your neighbors here were the same neighbors that you had back home in Germany. What a deal. In the late 1830s, most individuals in Germany were hearing about the immigration to Texas. It was everywhere. People were talking about it. One day, a group of petty noblemen in Germany met to discuss an ambitious enterprise, a corporation or a company, if you will, whose sole purpose would be to colonize German peasants in Texas. These noblemen hoped that their enterprise would make them money and also give them power and prestige. And they thought, this could be a good way to deal with the peasant overpopulation problem in rural areas of Germany. Their organization would be called Edelsweiden, or the Association for the Protection of German Immigrants. In this case, in Texas. But why Texas? Well, they chose Texas as the site for their colony, in part because of Ernst's letters. But also, these noblemen thought that since Texas was an independent republic, or a new country, 
noblemen and princes might exercise some political control and influence there. And although this new enterprise would turn out to be a complete financial disaster, it did create and employ logistics that moved thousands of Germans, mostly peasants, to Texas. Thanks to these noblemen, between 1844 and 1847, more than 7,000 Germans reached the new land. And their little corporation, their little enterprise, Edelsweiler, did establish the founding of two cities in Texas, the city of New Braunfels and the city of Fredericksburg. The German settlers who came to Texas because of Ernst Letters, the Edelsweiler, or any other German migration enterprise, generally were solid middle-class people. They were land-owning families, artisans, and in many cases, university-educated professionals and intellectuals. But the majority were farmers with a modest experience in trade. The Germans were not poverty-stricken and oppressed. Indeed, they were able to pay for their 5,000-mile trip to Texas. The Germans who settled in Texas were diverse in many ways, someone wrote. They included peasant farmers and intellectuals, Protestants, Catholics, Jews, and atheists, Prussians, Saxons, Hessians, and Alsatians, abolitionists and slave owners, farmers and townfolk, frugal, honest people, and also some axe murderers. The largest ethnic group in Texas derived directly from Europe are people from Germany. By the 1990 United States Census, there were over a million Texans who claimed pure German ancestry, and almost two million who claimed partial German ancestry. For a total of almost three million, or 17.5% of the total state population. By this count, Germans ranked behind Hispanics and formed the third largest national origin group in Texas. Although Texans of German descent do not regard themselves as ethnic Germans. In the final analysis, the 48ers came to play. They did not waste time or opportunities. It turns out that many 48ers were dominant personalities. Men and women who would make a difference right here in San Antonio de Bejar. If you're from San Antonio, look around you. Wiedner Street, Wiederstein, Wurzbach Parkway, the Menger Hotel, the Gunther Hotel, the Pearl Brewery, Pioneer Flour Mill, Schlitterbahn, New Braunfels, Fredericksburg, Schertz, Texas, and the newspaper which became the San Antonio Express News. All of this from the 48ers. Admiral Chester Nimitz from the Battle of Midway in World War II and President Dwight D. Eisenhower were gifts from the 48er movement here in Texas. So was Harry Wurzbach and William Menger and Emma Kohler, just to name a few, from a long list of Germans who made San Antonio their home. When I think about the 48ers, one man always comes to mind, a migrant who came here to Texas from Germany through New York. He would someday build a life and a lasting enterprise right here in San Antonio de Bejar. He would build one of the finest flour mills anywhere right here near the San Antonio River and would also someday build one of the first homes in what is now historic King William District in San Antonio. His name, Carl Hilmar Gunther. His house is still right here in San Antonio today. Carl was a businessman. He was a San Antonian. He was a Texan. 
and he was a 48er. Carl actually got to live the American dream, like so many of the German dominant personalities, who were bravely and boldly forging a future wherever they went. The 48ers that settled here in Texas were, in my opinion, the best that Germany had to offer. They definitely left their mark right here in Central Texas, and in the end, San Antonio would be better off. I, for one, do appreciate the many contributions that were made and the legacies that were left behind by these people that history would remember as the 48ers.